Once again, it is our wonderful privilege to take our Bibles and open God's Word and spend some time just digging into the rich depths of what it delivers to us. So I ask you to join me, if you would, in Acts chapter 16 once again. In Acts 16, as we take up Acts 16, I'm going to begin at the beginning of the chapter and I'm going to read through verse 10, and then we'll see what all we accomplish today. Listen as I read God's word. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they passed by Mysia, uh, and they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. Lord, as we really give our attention in this time to consider your word and to a large extent to, to take up this passage, but to see how this passage uh, lays crucial foundational groundwork uh, for the church at large and even for the practice in these days. That I just pray that once again as we cover these things and even to a degree in detail, God, that you would give us a sense of, of the value and necessity of these things. I pray, oh God, that you would help me to communicate these things clearly and faithfully. Lord, give your people uh, not only ears to hear, but minds and hearts to believe and rejoice in the confidence that we have in you and the grace and kindness that you have given to us in delivering to us your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, taking this up again, this, uh, to, to lay the groundwork for where we launch from today, we remember Acts chapter 15 is where uh, Paul and Barnabas and a few others traveled to Jerusalem to begin to deal with the issue, the challenge that was being uh, brought about by the Judaizers, them claiming because of the practice of under the old covenant and because of the patterns that prevailed in the past and not understanding the fullness that we have in Christ, they were insisting that men once again had to be circumcised and observe the law of Moses in order to be saved. Now, this is, this is a big deal because to be a member of the old covenant, you needed to be circumcised. To not be circumcised was then to be cut off from the people. 
and even among the sojourners who might travel with them that desired to participate in some of the special feasts and festivals of the children of Israel, if they desired to do so, they would have to be circumcised and and become a part of the people of Israel. In the days of Christ and in the New Testament, they had what we often call um, proselytizing. And we're familiar with that word. We generally use that word these days to get someone to leave what they believe and follow what we believe. Or some uh, group is proselytizing, trying to poach from other religions to get to follow them. Now, when it comes to the truth, it's not about poaching. It is about God bringing people from darkness to light, from error to truth, from death to life. It is most glorious and most necessary. And the beautiful thing that was really delivered is these things that were prevailing and necessary under the old covenant, they're accomplished in Christ. There is, as it says in Colossians, by union with Christ, there is a circumcision we have, but it's not done with hands. There is a sense in which Christ himself has fulfilled all the requirements of God's holy law, so that by union with him, we are considered, reckoned, declared righteous. We often use the term justified. Not by our works, but because of the righteousness of God in Christ that is counted for us. And we're thankful that 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 work of God does not only positionally give us acceptance in the beloved and a relationship with God and access to God and make us His people, but it also uh, brings about not only a positional, but a progressive change. The grace of God that saves us, we oft speak of, is the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So we, we are thankful for our standing, and yet we strive to make progress. Even as we know, all the progress we make is dependent on the grace of God at work in us. And our confidence that we will not at some point finally fall away is because of His preserving grace and His hand upon us in love. And so we came, they came through that chapter and it was said, the people at large... All of the Gentiles, they are not going to have to become Jews. Those things were set aside. Now, certain practices were still encouraged that would make them distinct, would distinguish them and separate them from pagan practices and root them in a humble dependence upon God. But that expectation was set aside. Now, Paul and Barnabas had intention then to go around to all of the churches and tell them, this. It's not based on your law keeping. It's not based on uh, your circumcision or your flesh. It is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone that you are saved. And in order to honor him, we are going to walk and live and follow these certain things to his glory and praise. And 
Sadly, we know at the beginning or at the end of the previous chapter and coming into chapter 16, as Paul and Barnabas prepared to go and deliver that message, they got in a a very severe dispute over whether or not John Mark would go with them. And they ended up separating. And, and, and John Mark and Barnabas went off one direction. And then uh, Paul took Silas with him and headed a different direction. Both towards places that they had previously visited in the first missionary journey. And on the way, we see that they begin to add to their group. And Timothy was one who uh, had distinguished himself among the disciples community in those early days. We looked last week that as they went through, and really taking this up in verse 4, they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And we looked at that idea that this concept of it being delivered to them, they delivered to them, the word there was dogmata. They delivered to them the rules. This is what it is. Remind us of this. They didn't go there and say, this is the opinion of the elder apostles in Jerusalem. They said, this is what you are to observe. This is what you are to keep. There were no votes. There was no show of hands. There was no uh, all in favor, say aye. Those opposed, same side. None of that was there. There were no subcommittees formed to determine whether we agree with that, that we might also send back to Jerusalem whether, and the apostles there, whether we agree or don't agree to what, degree, to what level we want them to accommodate or alter. The beautiful simplicity of it was this. This is what we now believe and do. Here you go. And also, at that point, it's not Paul, uh, Paul and Silas declaring their opinion. It was dogmata, from which we get the word dogma, from which we even get the idea of doctrine or rule or ordinance, and it was delivered. It was handed over to them. And then we also saw that it was something that they were to do. Now, when we take this up, uh, in that context, we saw that it was rooted in apostolic authority and I want to take that up just a little bit more today so so that we really really get a a strong sense of this because it is so foundational for all of our study of the scriptures for all of our practices in the church because it is just so easy for men's opinions to creep in I mean, and we live in an age where opinions are no longer isolated by region. Now opinions are absolutely proclaimed. And you get definitive opinions on, on everything from, from medicine to pandemics to uh, doctrine to practice. You get uh, opinions stated with absolute certainty and authority. 
But I mean, that's the idea that uh, men are right in their own eyes is not new to our age. But what's somewhat new to our age is how easy it is for the individuals who are right in their own eyes to get their information out to so many people. Now, as it sounds like I'm speaking negatively, there also is an inherent blessing to a degree in that, in that faithful men uh, uh, who are rightly articulating the word now also have a means by which they can get the word of God widely disseminated, and hopefully God's people can develop a degree of a a discernment in order to address all the opinions that arise. And I, and I want us to see this. So, so really today, I, I want to note this. It says this in verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith. Want to, uh, noting this. Not in merely believing, but in the faith. When you have the article the, it means they're strengthened in what they believe. Now they know this is what we are to believe. And knowing what you are to believe is strengthening. So this is the idea we're taking up the, the, today, the firming of faith that is going on here. To make firm, to make solid, to make strong. Because once this is delivered, that's it. It's done. We looked last week briefly at Jude as well, where it talks about uh, the, what is the faith that's been once for all delivered to the saints. And as we looked at apostolic authority for a brief moment, I, I want to also go back and let us understand the source of that firming in the faith. It is what comes to us from the scriptures and from no other place. Just, just to draw our attention to that. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul speaking as an apostle. And it's a very important to note this as well. Because the role that God would give the apostles of Jesus Christ would be that they would uniquely have the position to say these Old Testament patterns and practices are no longer ours. But in Christ Jesus, this is who we are. This is what distinguishes us. This is what we believe. This is what we do. They would introduce a new covenant that is ours in Christ Jesus. That as it says in Jeremiah 31 and as it says in Hebrews chapter 8, a new covenant that is not like the covenant I made with their fathers when I brought them out of Israel. And this is one of those things that is so helpful for us to understand those simple words. The new covenant is not like the covenant I made with their fathers before them. A multitude of confusions that we face even today in the church. Uh, um, A well-intended fellow will step forward and say, well, under the old covenant, this, 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 and this. And so, today we also, well, that's interesting, and I can follow your logic, but let us be careful, because the new covenant, in a significant sense, is not like the covenant he made with our fathers. So let's not be too quick to make connections. Now, 
don't mistake what I'm saying. Even though we are no longer under the old covenant. And the new covenant is distinct. It is a better covenant with better promises, a better mediator. All of those abundant betters that unfold throughout the book of Hebrews. But note this as well. The Old Testament is still scripture. And it is profitable for edification, for instruction. We've even seen from certain passages in 1 Corinthians where it says these things were written down as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So let's never think that because we're not under the Old Covenant, we don't need the Old Testament. The Old Testament is still the Word of God. And there is much to be understood about God's power, God's divine authority and sovereign rights to declare and demand whatever He so deems desirable. Even if someone might sit back, and I think at times it probably had to be that way. All right, with this sacrifice, this particular entrail like this, and this deliver that, and some of it needs to be dropped, and some of it needs to be burned wholly up, and then this part needs to be left there, this part needs to be taken outside the camp. What and why? And, and men could get stirred up. There's a lot of details. I don't understand what big a difference it's going to make. It doesn't matter if we understand what big a difference it's going to make. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to us, if it's difficult or delightful. It's really as simple as this. What did God say? But why? All right. You leave the why to him. Because his ways aren't your ways and his thoughts aren't your thoughts. But do you understand the what? He would have you do. Okay, I understand the what. Then get after it. What are you doing? What are you, but uh, sometimes we just get so caught up and it can be a concern. And, and the interesting thing is today I am urging the value of doctrine. The value of theology, the value of growing in knowledge. But that is not at the expense of a humble acceptance and an earnest doing. We got too many groups trying to divide these things and, and we don't want to. I want to. So again, I want to focus on the scope. Now in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 4. Paul gives a sense of that unique apostolic role when he says this. Verse chapter 3, Ephesians verse 4. When you read this, you will perceive my insight into the mysteries of Christ. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. Okay, so note this. If you go back, you don't get what you are now getting through the apostles. There were things that were made known, and we want to know those things. But there is now more made known. And what the, we don't want to just lock in on what was made known in other generations. And we don't want to miss out a right understanding of those by the insights of the mysteries of Christ that are revealed by the apostles. 
Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain that just more in a second. It says this. Not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now there again, uh, you have this a single article. So Apostle Prophets is speaking about the prophetic role of apostles. They bore a Moses-like role in the New Testament. God would speak to Moses, and Moses would speak to others. Christ was delivering the truth to the apostles. He would remind them of all the things that he said. He would send the Spirit to them who would guide them into all truth, and then they would deliver it unto us. But uh, this is given to them by the Spirit, which was not given in other generations. Now, this has got to give us caution. Now, by way of instruction, because what, what, what happens at times when we study the Word of God, and it is very important to study the Word of God, sometimes we decide things in advance. And then our presuppositions, decisions we've made in advance, color or affect our, our understanding of the Scripture. Uh, 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 for, for example, uh, different groups related to the law, of which I'm not going to unfold uh, everything today. Some groups will simply say this. If it is stated as part of God's law in the Old Testament, then it remains standing unless it is specifically repealed in the New Testament. And a lot of people hear that and say, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay. Another teacher comes along and says, we are no longer under the old covenant, but a new covenant. Therefore, all of the laws are no longer standing unless they are specifically repeated in the New Testament. So, so one guy says, if, it, if it's not specifically canceled, it stands. The other guy says, if it's not specifically repeated, it's canceled. But you already decided that before opening your Bible. I mean, these men are going to constantly come to different conclusions because they've already made a decision, a conclusion, in advance. I know some of you are saying, so which one is it? I'm not telling you. Uh, what, what I will say is this, let us be just really careful to study the Word of God and say, well, what do, in, instead of that, we ought to be asking questions. How do the apostles handle the, the law? How do the apostles handle the application of, of the Old Testament requirements? How are these things explained, unfolded, unpacked, and applied? How are they? And then you search the scriptures to see what is true and what is the case. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2 says this. That you should remember the things spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. Be aware of all that is given in the Old Testament. And the commands of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Again, what you're getting is a profound emphasis. When I'm talking about building doctrine and dogma, it is built on what? What is given by the holy prophets of old and the commands of our Lord and Savior given through our apostles. 
So listen closely, and this, this potentially is uncomfortable. I individually have no authority. Nothing stands by my word. No matter how strongly I say it, no matter how sincerely, no matter how earnestly, no matter how authoritatively, no matter how loud, that does not make it true. And some people try to make the emphasis instead of loud, they go to a whisper. And then it, it carries an ominous tone to it. Like, oh, I better listen to that. Whatever he's saying. But what a man says only holds authority if it is rightly rendering what we have received. Today, as we will take the Lord's Supper, we'll again consider, as it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, this regular pattern we see in the New Testament. What I received from the Lord, that I deliver unto you. That is my earnest prayer in all churches and for all preachers that we stop with opinions and feelings and ideas and we say that which we have, listen, received from the Lord, we deliver unto you. Because listen, there are a lot of things that we receive from in this day and age. And sometimes it becomes hard to hear. Is that what the scripture says or is that what he says? And it becomes a challenge. And I want us to know this. There are groups, and we're aware of this, who emphasize tradition. Listen, tradition can never trump truth. It cannot, and it must not. And I, and I, and I draw your attention to these words from 1 Corinthians eleven two. It says this. Now, I commend you because you remember me this is paul as an apostle writing to the church at corinth you remember me and it's not just a remembering him but remembering what he delivered to them you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions just as i delivered them to you oh see so traditions are important in the church bible says traditions are important in the church yes but the source of said traditions is what? The Lord through the apostles. It's not some kinds of later ongoing. To maintain the traditions as delivered by Him. It's not only there. The scripture goes on and builds that even further. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, God's word says this. Now we commend you brothers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brothers who are walking in idleness or, or an unruly life, a disorderly manner, and not according to the tradition that you received from us. Now, the word tradition, I want us to note this, is simply what we have handed down. And so the, the idea simply carries this. Uh, delivered and handed down. What the Lord has handed over to them, they continue to hand down to the church. So we ought all do the same things. But we know we live in an age where that doesn't happen. I mean, you, go into, you can go into certain groups and certain environments and, and whoever's preaching has to be 
uh, wearing a, a choir robe of some sort. You know? And, well, where does that come from? Tradition. But where does that tradition... Are we going to find that somewhere in the Scriptures? And so, little by little, what happens is, uh, w- when we stop discerning... Now, again, is it problematic or evil that a man is preaching in a, a, a choir robe or, or whatever other unique clergy garb? Is it, is it is certainly not evil. I mean, there's, I guess, technically no necessity of choirs wearing choir robes and so on. But what happens at times is a tradition will, will, will take place. And then someone will visit a church. Let's say someone visited here today and they, and they come from more of a, a robe-practicing church. And they'll think, oh, that, uh, that guy. I don't even feel like it was real preaching because he didn't have that dress on. That, that happens in people's mind. And, and to, to certain extents, most of us don't come from those backgrounds. And so, yeah, we would never think like that. But then some others, well, he's not wearing a suit. Or he's not wearing a tie and so on. And, and, and we would disparage that tradition that demands they wear a robe while still clinging to the one that required the suit. You, you don't see the difference there? And the reality is we oft don't because we just take for granted what is familiar. And also, to a degree, uh, we, we assimilate our doctrine not necessarily from a thorough study of the Scripture. I'm not dis- disparaging anybody. Um, uh, and hopefully we do continue to search, but we're also still hearing from a multitude of sources along the way. You know, and, and what ends up happening, interestingly enough, is people will then begin to build their own peculiar doctrinal Frankenstein. Where, all right, my, my view of baptism comes from uh, MacArthur. My view of, of, of the church comes from Sproul. My, my view of eschatology in times comes from, what's happening? You know? And these men have much to contribute and much to offer in these areas, but at a certain point, you do have to sit back and say, why do they differ on this area? And why do they differ on this area? And why do they differ on this area? And, it's, and, and the right solution is not, I prefer what he is saying on this one, and I prefer what he is saying on this one, that's also very unhealthy because then our, our, our positions end up being ultimately rooted in our preferences. Mm. But please note this, and note this with much love. None of us reads the Bible without some influence of our preferences. And so let us be prayerful. Let us be earnest and searching. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, as I study the scriptures, uh, Jesus says, uh, uh, it's, it's counted, noted in three different gospels. He says to these people, scribes who are challenging him concerning issues of the resurrection, he simply says this, you are wrong 
because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. So one of the greatest things that leads to us being wrong is not knowing the Scriptures. You know, and I was speaking to a brother this week who encountered somebody along the way who was presenting a very peculiar view uh, regarded to baptism and salvation and repentance and other things. And note this, they will oft defend their view from a single or a couple of verses. Pulled out of context, misunderstood, sadly are not aware that there are actually twice as many verses that render what they're saying absolutely ridiculous in a loving way, all right? It, it, it just, but look at this verse and this verse. Well, yeah, I see what those say, but over here, and I really like what this one says. No, 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 no. We don't use Scripture to cancel Scripture. We use Scripture to understand Scripture. Now note this, if I was to ask any of you right now, or if you were to ask me, would you please quote the scripture? I'm quite sure none of us are going to start in Genesis 1 and then finish out at the end of Revelation, and we will, by instant recall, know every verse of God's word. Isn't it right? And so we've got to be aware of this. We can be prone to influence... Uh, uh, there's a passage, interestingly, um, in, in Proverbs that, that says uh, something like this. Uh, the, the one who states his case first seems to be right until the second person comes and examines him. So we've just got to understand the source is the word of God. We've got to hold to it unshakably because listen, Colossians 2.8 warns in this way. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Empty deceit according to human tradition and the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. Okay, human tradition and not according to Christ. The human tradition even takes place. Let me say this kindly. We have a church. And throughout the centuries, there have been churches. Church tradition is not the same as the tradition or truth that comes to us from Christ. Okay? Because everyone who's in the church... Not a trick question. Is or is not human? So therefore, the traditions they develop can potentially be human traditions. Yeah, but I just feel more worshipful if there's stained glass in the church. Okay? You know, it just seems, you know, light a candle for me. What? You know, and so depending on, on your, your opinions and your ideas and, and um, paintings, you can come into certain places and there's archaic paintings all around of individuals that are supposed to represent significant individuals in the past that some have determined to call saints of some form or another. 
Maybe they've got a floating halo and other kinds of accoutrements. And people feel like, wow, I've just come into the presence of these great men. No, you haven't. That's just a painting. And is that essential? Does that make it more spiritual? And we've got to work our way through these things. Brothers and sisters will come and say, and again, I want us to be rightly assessing, but they'll come into a particular environment and say, you know, I didn't really like that church because I don't feel like it's a good church if they don't sing hymns only, you know, like the apostles did. Well, uh, did the apostles? When are most of the hymns, that the old hymns that we sing written? There were a thousand plus years of church history before most of the hymns that we sing. And I say that as somebody who, who personally likes the hymns and don't want to lose the richness of some of, of those things. Uh, but again, we cannot let our preferences just seep in and dictate. Uh, so, what is the source of firming our faith? It is the scriptures. And in terms of our practice and our doctrine and our right understanding of what we believe and what we do in the church today, it is those things delivered by the command of our Lord through his apostles. The word of God. Now, secondly, I want to note this also. We are not only to have that source, but we are to make strides in it. We live in an age where you've probably possibly met someone who's pretty emotional and pretty zealous, but they may speak negatively of knowledge and of theology. And, they, and uh, oh, you think too much. You need to feel more. We don't need more theology. We need more maybe you do need more theology because it, it, theology rightly understood is what the scriptures teach us concerning God and what God has taught us concerning man and what we are and what we are to do. Uh, so that I, I just state these specific scriptures by way of encouraging. They strengthened them, the churches in the faith. It says this in 2 Peter 3 verse 18. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. So we are to grow in grace and to grow in knowledge. The way it says it in Colossians 1, verse 10 and following says this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. So it's talking about our doing, talking about our dedication, talking about our service. Then it goes on to say, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's not merely one or the other. People talk about groups that are, that are dead and doctrinal, and then they talk about those that seem, seemingly are alive but have no interest in the truth. The scripture never puts either of those extremes as to happen. We ought to be zealous, earnest, fervent, emotional, passionate about the truth. We ought to be active, engaged, deliberate, doing of the things that God has called us to do. And we need to be loving and learning and growing in the truths that God has delivered to us. 
So which one is it? Feeling, doing, or growing? Yes! All of those things to happen together in, in, a, in a powerful and glorious way. Now again, I, I guess, uh, let us go on to a second thought today as time uh, uh, rushes upon us. So the first thing that we see here is affirming in the faith. Right, the source of that firming in the faith is the word of God and particularly with the right understanding of the authority of the apostles and the fuller revelation of the New Testament that has been given to us in Christ. Secondly, I want us to also see this. Earnest in evangelism. Look what it says with me in, again. Chapter 16, verse 5. And when we walk away, we're going to be rejoicing today that the whole sermon came from verse 5. They were strengthened in the faith and what? They increased in numbers daily. So they were not just focused on firming up and building up themselves. They were not just focused within they were also actively earnest and engaged without taking the gospel. And this again is a concern that takes place at times and places. There will be groups that are, that are extremely active, door to door, with a pattern and an emphasis on soul winning and reaching out and doing these, these things, being earnest in evangelism. This is good. But sometimes the, the emphasis becomes only on those basic introductory truths and then a, that activity to the world at large where there's not a deepening and affirming and a strengthening up, which leaves many of the saints susceptible to deceit and false doctrine and, 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 and other ideas. Leaves at times those who might supposedly be converted under those ministries um, uh, with, with no depth and no grounds to stand on but another very significant potential danger is a group that says we're all about us and we know from times and places in the past that sometimes groups have even at times gone so far as to say um, we want our church to be primarily made up of this community of this demographic of this social group and you think what come on how unhealthy is that or or we want every we want we want to focus on the church build up the church and 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 those are good things but it can be done to to soon the community does not even know you represent christ they don't even hear of Christ. You become those peculiar, isolated people in that little building on the corner of the street. That we don't know what they're really all about and what they do. But we know this, they never talk to us. And so, uh, you know, when I, when I look at this, I think, what a beautiful thing that the church was being strengthened and the church was clearly active in outreach because it was continuing to grow in numbers. 
There have, and, I, and I'm well aware of even churches that at a certain point in the, in the life, life cycle, if you have to say that, of certain congregations, will, will be like, um, we, we don't want any new people. We don't want to get any bigger. We don't want, be cautious with any sentence that begins, we don't want. I don't want. Be cautious with all the sentences that have the want in there. Related to ourselves. We ought to ask what he wants. Now, someone says, well, we don't want our church to be bigger than 200 because then how will we be able to uh, have real relationships and know one another? Fine. If you outgrow that, become two churches. You know, you can figure it out. But the fact is this, grow firm in the faith and be earnest in evangelism. The scripture tells us this, and, 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 uh, and this is throughout we see in, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. The early church was praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. In verse, chapter 4, verse 4, it says, but many of the, the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. How? What was the manner and means by which he was adding to their number? Acts 4, 4 says this, but many of those who heard the word believed. So again, listen, we want people to be saved. We want people, God, to add to the number. How's it gonna happen? They have to Hear the word, and our minds will immediately run. What does Romans 10 say? How will they hear unless someone goes and speaks to them? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So some people want to be listeners, you know, eaters and drinkers. And and we think some, some are that, and then some are servers. Why are we not all of those things? God help us to be all of those things. I love the um, instruction that even uh, Paul gives to Timothy. Remember, he had told him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, charged him, preach the word in season, out of season, reproof, rebuke, correction, instruction. Do this. Use the full totality of God's word to change and rebuke the way people are living, to correct the wrong ideas that people are having. A lot of the richness is God's word is the undoing of ourselves and our opinions and the renewing of our minds in accord with God's word. But he ends that little uh, a brief section to him after urging him what he will be doing in the context of the local assembly. And he says these words in verse 5 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Don't say what I'm doing here is enough. I want to serve God earnestly among the saints. I want to encourage them to love and good works. I want to provoke them. I want to be iron sharpening iron. I want to help them up when they stumble and fall. I want to walk side by side striving for the sake of the faith of the gospel. But also 
there are other lost sheep who are still wandering in darkness. Who God has so designed that they come to know the path of life through the proclamation of his people. If we, so as we firm up in our faith, let us be faithful in proclaiming the one who has given us faith. The one that our faith is rooted and grounded in. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Apart from him, we are done and undone. So the simple thoughts today was simply, we see in this passage, the emphasis on the firming up of the faith. And the source of that. There's so many competing elements in our lives and in this world today. The ultimate source of the firming of our faith must be rooted and grounded in what God has given us in his word. And a right understanding of it that progresses to a fullness, a fuller revelation through the apostles by the authority of Christ in the New Testament. And also, we, so we see the scope of that, uh, we see the source of that, and we, and we see that the scope ultimately is to be wide and broad. We didn't have time to look into all of those things, but third, secondly, so firmness in the faith and earnest in evangelism. So I'm praying that God will give us a desire to do that sometimes it's interesting because uh, you'll meet people in different places and you know and then maybe they'll say um, i don't understand why the church is not growing i don't understand why uh, brother sister how often are you speaking to your co-workers your friends your neighbors people god gives you opportunity to engage in the world how often are you speaking to them well I I'm not a missionary. We, we, we pay people to do that. No, that's not how it works. And we don't, want to, we don't want to come up with those kinds of excuses because ultimately, I often say this, how many times do you see the word missionary in the Bible? And the answer is zero. None. Because, because what we call missionaries are simply those who are doing in another place what every single one of us ought to be doing in this place as we serve our God. Because he is worthy of our earnest engagement that we might grow and his glorious gospel is worthy of our proclamation to the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you. That the time that we could spend, again, such basic and foundational things, but just wanting to urge these things upon the saints. And sometimes uh, we don't want to be like those churches that were warned in Revelation, and in particular, those who had lost their first love. God, may we never cease to value the richness and unending treasure of your word. May we be, as it says in Ephesians, committed to no longer be like children tossed to and fro, but to grow up in every way into maturity, into him who is the head. Lord, we pray that you, by your word and through what we do as a church, would build us to be a people who are firm in the faith and ever-growing and ever-firming. But also, Lord, in the midst of that, let us not fail to see those around us who are yet lost and yet in need 
and many who may not have heard the gospel or those who think they have or have heard a paltry approximation of it. Lord, give us that earnestness and boldness that we would declare the glory and excellency of the one Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.